are live. Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen. Bienvenidos, senoras y senores. This is the first ever episode of NAI Made, the stories of small college baseball in the lives it's changed in NAI Ball Podcast production. I'm your host, Robbie Gutierrez, as always with you here, and we are excited to get this rolling with you. This is a project that I have been working on with Cody for months, and we're finally ready to get it going, get it unveiled, and get these shows underway. I've had so many people reach out to me about wanting to be on the show, wanting to tell their story, and that's exactly what NAI Made is for. NAI Made is the story of us, the story of small college baseball and how it changed our lives. And while Cody and I get to interact with you all on a daily basis, there's so many people out there still that have had baseball change their lives, and not just baseball, but NAI baseball change their lives through coaches, teammates, the way things happen in the games. And we get to finally tell those stories, the stories of what college was like for you and what is like life is like after the game ends. So our first ever guest this week is my former teammate, my team captain, and one of the best men I know, Adam Humes. Adam currently is an assistant varsity baseball coach at Duncanville High School, one of the largest high schools in the state of Texas. Adam also is a sports psychologist and mental performance coach through Bind Performance, his company that helps athletes in DFW at Duncanville and around the nation step up their game throughout all sports. Adam's going to tell us in the first part of the show what it's like, what life was like at Northwood, what his playing career was like. Adam's going to tell us what it was like to catch the last no-hitter in the NAI World Series. He's going to tell us about a medical scare that pretty much ended his career in indie ball, as well as his theories on baseball and its mental performance training and how he incorporates that in his day-to-day life at Duncanville High School and how it's helped turn a culture around. So, without further ado, here's the show. The first ever episode of NAI Made. The stories of small college baseball and the lives it's changed. Hope you enjoy. Joining me now on NAI Made, the stories of small college baseball and the lives it's changed in NAI Ball Podcast production is Adam Humes, all the way from Dallas, Texas, the former Northwood University Texas baseball knight, hit 362 in his average for his career, 260 hits, 62 doubles, 20 home runs, 189 RBIs in 719 at-bats. Adam, you struck out just 76 times. You played in 210 games. And you're also the last catcher to ever catch a no-hitter at the NAI World Series in 2013 when Cody Faulkner threw a no-hitter against Sterling. What do those numbers kind of mean to you? I've never had anyone read them off like that. So hearing all those back-to-back is uh, it's pretty humbling. It's uh, not something that you really go back and look at a lot once you're kind of done playing. But... Um, it makes me feel proud because I know how much work I put in while I was, you know, in that program. And, um, yeah, I'm proud to, uh, have those numbers The numbers aren't everything, you know, there's a lot of team wins in there as well. Um, throughout my four years in Northwood and obviously what you just talked about ending my senior year at the world series, that's kind of, um, 
the stat or the uh, one number that I would care about the most is that one World Series win uh, and it being a no-hitter nonetheless. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting. Don't get a look at those numbers too often, but uh, that's cool to hear. Hey, I've got a quote for you from somebody that you know uh, pretty well. And it says, I asked him, you know, what do you think of this guy as a leader? Who is he as a person? He said, Adam is one of the most reliable players I've ever coached. He's a true student and now teacher of how to maximize individual potential. More than that, Adam is a truly great person. He is genuine and honest. If a person as you will ever meet or find, he's going to give you everything he has every single day. He's one of the true good guys in the game. And that coming straight from our former head coach, Jeremy Kennedy, who now the head baseball coach at Loyola University in New Orleans. There, I could ask Adam, I could ask anybody who played with us from 2012, 2013 when we were teammates. And I'm sure we could go back to 2010, 2011, and guys would have the same thing to say. And one of the reasons I was so excited about interviewing you, one of the reasons I chose to interview you first was because A, you've done so much more outside of baseball, you know, once, once the game ended, you've had ups and downs in professional baseball, you know, going through and and having to go back to school and become working on sports psychology. You've had so many things happen, but still you're a guy that commanded such respect in the dugout and in the locker room when you were teammates with us. And there are countless amount of guys that that would say the same types of things as as Jeremy Kennedy we've actually got two more quotes to go over that we'll get to later in the show but it's that type of thing there was a reason why you were you know we didn't have a captain but everybody kind of knew it was you you were you were the guy you know we didn't have like an appointed captain but but everyone knew it was you and so i think that's what what made it special for guys, you know, that, that really remember you, everybody's going to remember you. Everybody's going to say, yeah, I played with Adam Humes. That's one of the names they they'll remember. And I think it's, it's great to have you on. I'm excited to have you here. We'll go ahead and start looking, you know, at a little bit of your timeline. You graduate from Plano East in 2009. You only have two junior college offers. Coach Garza, now the head coach at Texas Wesleyan university calls you up says what does he tell you like hey you want to come to northwood uh so i initially met with him first at northwood and uh he told me at that time that they'd love to have me but they had no scholarship money um and i didn't know if i could swing that my parents could swing that so i left actually my first visit not thinking i was going to go to northwood and it was a couple weeks later he called me while i was on a plane, actually, I was either going to or from Arizona uh, for a tournament over the summer. And uh, I, it was a voicemail. I listened to it. And he said, I came across a little bit of money, uh, a couple thousand dollars, whatever. Uh, it's between you and this other guy. Whoever calls me back first gets it. <laughs> and uh, I remember sitting next to my mom on the plane like, oh, I really love the school. You know, I love the facilities. You know, I want to be there and uh, kind of talking it out and giving him a call back within a few minutes of getting the message and uh, accepting that offer. So I've always remembered that, though, because it was like there was a time frame to it. If I didn't call him as soon as I could, then that offer might not be there anymore, and I might not have ever uh, 
played at Northwood. That is the most Garza thing ever. You know, whoever calls me back first gets the money. <laughs> I, I love that. But you, you go to Northwood, and one of the things that happens is they, they move you off at 33. They, they put you on a 34 because for people who don't know you, you're a tall dude. Um, and Garza calls you the best handsy hitter in the country. What, is, what did that mean? So in high school, I was a two-hole, and I prided myself on just hitting low-line drives back the L-strings, keeping it up the middle. And uh, when I got to Northwood, I remember, I think it was Garza, took the 33-inch bat out of my hands, tossed it to the side, and put a 34-inch bat in my hands and said, you're swinging that now. Um, and basically they, not they, but Garza remade my swing, um, telling me I needed to hit with more power, uh, doubles, home runs, that sort of thing. Um, and whenever I would go back to my old habit of just throwing my hands, not using my body, he would call out from wherever he was on the field, Hume, you're the best handsy hitter in the country. You're going to be the best handsy hitter in the country. In other words, tell me I'm not doing the right thing, that I'm just using my hands. And uh, I guess I guess he thought I could be okay that way, but more or less telling me I'm not doing the right thing. Um, so I don't know why that stuck with me so much, but um, I can still hear him saying it from right field, from left field, wherever he was walking around, that uh, I was the best handsy hitter in the country. And I knew it sounded good. Like someone walked by like, oh, man, this guy must be good. He's the best handsy hitter in the country. <laughs> But I knew what he was getting at. You know, you lasted more swings than me. Uh, I think he saw me take one swing and then said just absolutely not. So, you know, that's being the best handsy hitter in the country, probably a much better thing than just absolutely not. But going into 2010 now, first season of college baseball, your roommate, who was the starting first baseman, actually fails and flunks out of school. You start almost every game that season. True freshman, first team all-conference, first baseman. Over the summer, you're told to get better or get bigger. But you come back in the fall for 2010 overweight. What was that like for you? It was tough. I think just kind of still being young and not really – I knew I needed to put on weight, and uh, both Kennedy and Garza told me, like, don't play this summer. You don't need to play this summer. You can if you want, but you don't need to play. Just lift weights and eat everything. Like Just get bigger. And uh, I did. Um, probably too much. So when I came back, I just remember we always had that first week or two of conditioning, and that was rough for me. And I think uh, both coaches kind of made sure it was rough on me because they knew that um, I came in a little out of shape. And uh, I don't think I realized I came in out of shape until I got to that conditioning week and, you know, they let me know that, hey, we appreciate you gaining weight, but it probably needs to be a little bit more uh, better weight. So 2011 goes by, your second team all-conference first baseman. You know, you don't get to the – you end your season actually at the opening round in Lubbock. And I got to actually see y'all play that year in Brownsville, Texas. Uh, and that's the moment I decided I wanted to be a Northwood Knight is uh, Johnny Aldosco and Yard three three times in a game uh, just absolutely made me want to go to Northwood. And just I thought the team was incredible. I thought, how do these guys not not compete for a national title every year? And so you that summer, you go and play in the Northwoods League. 
And it's really the first time you give a thought to the mental side of baseball. And right now I'm going to give you an opportunity. You know, you're, you're a teacher at Duncanville High School. You coach baseball at Duncanville High School. But tell us a little bit more about what you do with the mental side of things and, and how that summer in 2011 really affected you and made you realize you want to work with more of this mental side. Right, absolutely. Real quick, before we get into that, Johnny Alves is a freaking beast. That guy, his quote, he always told me was dip and drive, dip and drive. El Paso Which, Hall of Fame. Yeah, I don't know if I suggest that to all our guys at Duncanville, but hey, it worked for him. Um, but yeah, the, the mental side. So that actually, going back to Coach Garza, uh, before I left that summer, he mentioned a book by Sean Green called The Way of Baseball. And um, I, I liked reading, so I... I did get that book before I went, and actually over that summer I read that book, and it was just a lot of um, different ways of thinking that I hadn't thought about before. Uh, Sean Green talked about how important tea work was and how it was almost like meditation for him just to breathe and hit, and um, it was just something that I hadn't thought about. And another thing that kind of really opened my eyes is he talked about the relationship when he's in the batter's box to the pitcher. So he said, everyone thinks that the pitcher is the enemy, that you're trying to beat the pitcher, that you've got to be better than him. But he said, that's, that's not true. What I think is that pitcher is on my team. That pitcher is trying to give me the pitch I can hit a mile. Sometimes he misses and it gets called a strike and well, that's fine. But that next pitch, he's going to try to put it in my wheelhouse again. So the fact that this guy could talk about how the the pitcher, your enemy, is someone really trying to help you out and how that helped him hit better and get loose and freed up a little bit was really eye-opening to me and realize what what else am I not realizing? What else can I kind of trick myself into so I play, you know, just a, a little bit better? I mean, that's that's absolutely in- incredible when when you look at it. I've never thought of it that way. I've always thought as as a pitcher myself is the mentality is I'm going to get up there and sit everybody down. Everybody's getting a chair. Nobody's getting on. It's over. I'm the best guy out here on the field. I'm the biggest badass out here. And you just kind of blew my mind with that, that, you know, at some point that hitter might be thinking, hey, this guy's going to give me something to hit. It's going to be okay. And and that really kind of, I mean, I had never really thought about that at all. Yeah, it was completely eye-opening for me too. It was something that like I said, I had never thought about before, and it made me realize what other things am I missing? Because that seems totally off base. But if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. If you think that guy's helping you and not trying to hurt you, like you're a lot more relaxed. Like, what do you have to be so tense about? The guy's on on your side. So, yeah, it was just something that I took away from that book. I'm sure there's many other things that are great in there, but that's one thing that really stands out. Of wow, like that's not at all what I was thinking. So with that being your first introduction to the mental side of baseball, would you say that kind of sparked really your your interest in it and what made you later down the road go and become a sports psychologist? Um, I, I think it, it definitely was the start. There were a number of uh, other things. Some of it, um, me having a lack of success kind of later on, and we'll talk about that, um, just not playing as well as I felt like I I should have. And I knew there was, you know, other things that I could be doing. I just didn't know what to do. I was in a new situation. Um, 
and then just opportunities kind of um, leading me to to be able to pursue kind of the mental side of baseball and become a mental performance coach. So um, that that was definitely what what kickstarted my interest, though. So let's keep moving here. Let's talk about 2012. 2012, I see you're missing it from your timeline, but I get to college in 2012, so I know that's a major event in your life. Uh, you know, it, it's and for a lot of guys, it's a major event in their life. But 2012, we become teammates. We're having this incredible season, and all of a sudden, we have we have a little bit of adversity. Uh, you know, for those of you who don't know Coach K, like like Adam and I know Coach K, and, and Adam, I think. You and I and maybe a couple guys in the past might know Coach K better than anybody uh, as far as from a from a player's standpoint. And he sticks to his word. You know, what, what he says is, is law. And we were on a one-strike policy when it came to, to breaking team rules. And uh, that season, we had a drug test and it wipes out a handful of players. And it doesn't just wipe out a handful of players, Adam. It wipes out star players. We were 9-1. and one. We were coming off of a series win over Lubbock Christian, who at the time was not, uh, number three in the nation. You know, we're, we're thinking World Series. And all of a sudden, a drug test wipes out a ton of guys. It, it's really a turning point in the season because things are never the same after that. All of a sudden, you're moved to catcher. Uh, and you hadn't caught since sophomore year of high school on JV, and Johnny Aldas has to help you, who's our, our GA that year. Johnny Aldas has to help you. Yeah, that was um, that was tough. That was really tough. Um, you know, like you said, I felt like I, I kind of was one of the leaders on the team, and uh, part of what I thought was my responsibility is making sure that we're all kind of buying into – team rules, the process, you know, to what Coach K and Coach Garza say. And um, that was a disappointing day. I remember it very clearly being in the dugout um, as Coach K, you know, talks to everybody and, you know, one by one guys slowly, you know, get up and leave. Um, yeah, I was that was devastating. And um, little did I know at that point that it would impact me as, as much as it did. I knew our season was going to be impacted. Um, I didn't know at the time it was going to mean a position change for me. Uh, so I remember Coach K, it seemed like a passing comment, like, hey, you, have you ever uh, caught before? And <laughs> I was honest, but it was almost like a joke. I, I said that I had caught uh, sophomore year of JV, but since JV year in high school, I hadn't caught at all. Um, and he said, well, we're going to take a look. So I remember being in the bullpen and you know, trying my best, which I honestly thought was pretty bad. And uh, did some pop times and all that, and they thought it was good enough to move forward with. And uh, that's pretty much where I played the rest of my college career. I played a few games at first base uh, after that, but pretty much caught the rest of the way. And uh, don't get me wrong, I, I loved catching. I loved kind of um, being in charge of the field, um, calling pitches, that sort of stuff. Um, it was just not at all what I uh, expected. And that was kind of a whole process of relearning everything. So I had a basic understanding of catching, you know, from being little, but um, when I went to college, I thought that was it. Like, I'm not ever catching again. I don't even know if I had <laughs> a glove or gear or anything like that. Um, but I remember Johnny just 
working with me day after day. Even I, my uh, throwing form, like I threw the ball differently. I had a short arm it more to uh, improve my pop time. And that's it's the little things that we worked on over and over so that, um, you know, I could compete at that level uh, behind the plate again. That season was my first taste of college baseball uh, as a freshman on that team. That was an eye opener because honestly, to be to be totally honest with you, I was I was so scared of Kay. Uh and I think coming in as a freshman, all freshmen are. And I was really, really did not want to say more than a few words to the guy a day. But I do have a quote here from from him regarding this season. And as a coach, he says, Are you willing to make a decision that will negatively impact you personally? That team would have won 40 to 50 games with a World Series caliber team. That isn't easy. Empty, empty threats crush your integrity. I want guys to know if I say it, I mean it. If you're going to do that, then you better be willing to deal with the fallout. That season was crushing for me personally. And I got to say, from my standpoint, I 100% agree with him on it was crushing for all of us because we didn't even make the conference tournament that year. Uh, we really struggled to put things together with who we had. And even though we were still a good team, I think it just took so much out of us emotionally that, that it just, we just kind of struggled with it. Uh, but it was such a shock, I guess, to see this is actually happening. These guys are going to be going to be done. And, and for a lot of those guys, that was it for them. You know, that they didn't, they didn't come back. What was that season like for you? Not just the position change, but emotionally. Yeah, it was it was rough because, like you said, we had started off so hot, uh, nine and one, I guess you said. All I knew is we were rolling. Like we were, we thought we were going to be really good. And um, like I said, kind of how it worked is one guy stood up, another guy stood up, and you realize like these are the guys that are not going to be with us anymore. And like you mentioned, they were guys that were starting, like playing every day and um that season was very disappointing it's one of those things like you try to rally the troops you know we try to continue to fight but i think in the back of everyone's mind they knew that we're simply missing guys like we're short staff we don't have everybody that we should have um which for some guys maybe that affected the way they played um i'm sure it did but it was it was crushing, um, but as far as what Coach K said about like not making MP threats, and that's something with him. Why I love him so much, like he's a man of integrity, and you knew if he said something, that was going to happen. And I think I had more respect for him actually after making that decision because that's how I was brought up. Like if you say something, you're gonna do it. Like you have to stick to your word. And the fact that he did that, and we all knew that it was not only bad for us, but it was bad for him. Um, the fact that he did that and stuck to his word, and these are the team policies, these are the rules, and he rolled with it. Um, you know, I had more respect for him after that. And I, I don't want to. I know we're haven't got to the 2013 season yet, but if if that event does not happen, I firmly believe. W what happened in 2013, the next year, that doesn't happen either. And I feel like that's a bold statement, but 
I firmly believe that that was a turning point in that season, but also in the program at Northwood that caused success down the line. I, you know, I, I 100% agree with that. I think, I think it's, it's something that really for the guys that came back understood what it takes with that coaching staff, which commanded a ton of respect amongst guys, but what it takes with that coaching staff to become better and, and going from 2012 to 2013, the, not just the atmosphere, not just the relationships with coaches, but the way the team gelled together was a hundred percent different. I mean, you're a guy for the people that don't know you personally, you're a guy that for the people that don't know you personally, you're a guy that's not going to go out Saturday night. You know, it's, it, there's not a party for you. You, you do things the right way, but if we went out to Pluckers on a Thursday night, you were there, you know, and, and that was one of the great things about that team in, in 2013 was it didn't matter. There wasn't any factions. There wasn't any things like that. It was all one team and everybody got along and we had our little disputes, but everything was special. And that's what made that year special was I think that everybody understood what it takes from now on. But in 2012, you're a first team all conference catcher in the RRAC you go off that summer, play in the Alaska Baseball League. You're the all, you're on the All Star team. You're a home run derby participant, but you play with a team that's AIA based. So you incorporate Christian lessons and values throughout your summer. What was that like for you? Because I know that's a big topic for you. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, it's kind of something I try to do forever. Is I always told myself, you know, I play baseball to uh, um, kind of spread the message to. Um, tell others about God and about Christ. And that's kind of how I um, thought about my playing career is uh, gives me an opportunity to do that. And uh, to go to a, a team where everyone is, has that same kind of goal and objective, it, it was different. Like that's not necessarily common on all uh, baseball teams throughout the country, especially, uh, you know, growing up, it's just not common. So it was, uh, it was really cool to not only get to play in a great league in the Alaska Baseball League, um, but to play with guys that are kind of striving for the same thing that I am, both on the field and off the field. Um, and if you are a Christian and you have an opportunity to play for any AIA team, they have a lot of, uh, you know, different teams, summer teams, which AIA is athletes in action. Um, but it was an awesome experience. They have um, – a pastor or that's not what they call them, but someone that comes in like once every couple weeks, they'll uh, stay with the team. They'll give you some lessons um, and just kind of coach you up on your Christian walk while you have your coaches and staff that coach you up on the field. And uh, to be able to have success kind of in that league at that time while I was getting that other experience was, uh, was awesome. And it, if anyone has an opportunity to play summer ball where you get to travel and uh, play in front of some fans, like I highly, highly recommend that uh, playing both after my sophomore and junior year at Northwood playing in the Northwoods league. And then in the Alaska baseball league were just great experiences. So uh, definitely uh, recommend doing that. If you have the opportunity. 2013 comes around and we're, we're going to skip right to the opening round tournament. We're in Hattiesburg, Mississippi at 
the campus of William Carey University. Matt Page is up. Bases are loaded. We're up by, I want to say, three. And he flies out to left field. We win. We're going to the World Series. What was the first thought through your mind when you saw that that ball go into the air with probably arguably at that time in 2013, he was the national player of the year up at the plate and arguably the best hitter in the country. <laughs> uh, when the ball went up in the air, the, the first thought I had is probably not what you might think was, I think it was a rev on the mound. And, uh, yeah, and for, how for, hard that- yeah, for those at home, Colton Revis is, is easily sat 93, 94 in college. Yeah, he was he was awesome. But when that ball went up, I I had told him before that you know we're dogpiling when this happens, and <laughs> I'm coming for you. So my first thought is, how hard do I hit him to like make <laughs> him feel it, but not injure him? Because that means we're going to the World Series, and we really need this guy. Um, so it's crazy, but that was my first thought: is how hard am I going to hit him? Because off the bat, I I knew I say I knew I think I knew that it was going to be uh, kind of a routine flyout. Um, but I do remember during the at bat, just man, um, the nerves and all that stuff of, you know, like you said, we're just a few runs up and we got the bases loaded, so we don't have this in the bag by by any means. So to be able to pitch to him carefully enough that we don't give him some right down the middle, because like you said, the guy could freaking hit. Um, but also, you know, challenge him a little bit because our guy in the mound has has good stuff and has the ability to get him out. You're the last catcher to catch a no-hitter at the NAI World Series. Cody Faulkner against Sterling, and not only did you catch the no-hitter, you also drove in the only run of the game on a sack fly uh, in a one nothing win. We score in the top of the first, and then Cody Faulkner does not allow a, a single hit to Sterling over nine innings. Take me through the mental process of that game, exactly what you were thinking, if you remember it, you know, just kind of what the nerves were for you, because that was that's not just a big moment in our school's history. That's a big moment in NAI baseball history. Right. And and I love the way I remember it because you're talking about nerves and that sort of stuff. I don't remember feeling a lot of that and it's it's not that I had everything under control the uh I, I feel like we were all just so thought into the process of we just we need to win we had lost the game at that point and we lose again you know we're going home so just we we got to get guys out like just get guys out get guys out and it wasn't like we can't let them get a hit we just can't let them score we just need to keep on getting guys out and something kind of odd with that game is the way the sun hit the scoreboard I don't know if you remember this it was very hard to read the scoreboard so those of us that were looking like it was hard to tell if it was a zero up there or if there actually were no hits because honestly me behind the plate I wasn't sure if it was a no hitter like I'm going back through like I think we had some guys on base but did they get a hit I, I, I didn't know um, which is kind of funny to say but I was just so caught up in we got to get guys out and they can't score. So the now going into that last inning, you know, I knew at that point that, you know, when he needed to uh, not allow a hit that last inning and he had it. But it, it was just I love that for the mental side of the game is that 
I was so caught up in the process of we just got to throw strikes, get guys out, hit our spots, do the right things, and we're going to win. And then all of a sudden we have a no-hitter on our hands. So as far as nerves and stuff, I honestly didn't really feel any. I'm sure Cody did. Um, but, yeah, it was an awesome experience. And getting him raised up on guys' shoulders at the end, that was that was awesome. That was an amazing, amazing game to be a part of. It really was, and, and I did not know, like you said, the sun was hitting the scoreboard a certain way because it was the first game of the day. I didn't know it was a no-hitter until I went to the restroom in the fifth inning and a guy tells me, hey, man, that's you guys got a, got a no-hitter going on. I said, no, we're, we're the away team. And he goes, yeah, yeah, your guy hasn't given up a hit. Okay. I won't be back here again. I, I don't think I moved the rest of the game. I just kept held on to my little chart and, and sat in my little corner, and, and that was it. Um, but you know, for the coaching staff, there had to be some tough decisions made in that game because as he got up in pitches and as it's a one, nothing game, if he had walked somebody or anything like that, I mean, Revis was getting hot in the bullpen. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough call, but he, and Cody had, you know, so much command that game. If I remember right, he didn't even throw a breaking ball. It was all fastball changeup the entire game. That's all he needed. Um, so yeah, I, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. I don't know what would have happened if we had a guy in scoring position, um, during that last inning, what they would have done, but it's just awesome the way it worked out and that, uh, he got to stay on the mound. I don't even know what his pitch count was, but it didn't seem like a lot cause he, he was just hitting his spots and getting guys out. So that was your senior year. The game, the next game we lose to LCSC in, what was an amazing atmosphere. And every time they scored, it sounded like the dugout was going to collapse. And every time we scored, you could hear a pin drop, you know, uh, which was just a really good ball game. College baseball's done for you. You go and play indie ball. The team folds. The Texas Thunder uh, of the United League fold because of a lack of money. You get one check and ca- you, you're told to cash it right away. Then... You go to a startup league for the Adrian Pioneers. They put you in dorms at Adrian College. You never get paid. I mean, what was those first two indie ball experiences like for you? How big of a grind is that? Uh, It's tough. Like you hear independent baseball, you know, it's professional baseball. You get paid, which is true. But it is, uh, it's, it's tough. Um. So the the first summer you mentioned with the Texas Thunder, I got on the team late because we were in the World Series and it took a while to to find a team. But I did get signed, and you know I had good experiences while I was there. Um, but you're, you're yeah, welcome. the team, <laughs> the team, uh, yeah, down in your neck of the woods. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the team did fold. Um, not too long, probably within a month of uh, me being there. And I don't even remember who told me if it was a player, a coach, a manager, whoever. But I just remember thinking or of someone telling me, you better cash that check right away because there is no money. So I remember going into a guy's office. They hand me a check. I got it and, you know, had that thing cashed as soon as I could, um, which it, it went through. So I, I did get paid. But that one check, you know, played for a little bit. Uh, it was fun. There were some interesting things that went on. We played a game. Uh, it was around July 4th, and, you know, 
there wasn't good communication, I guess, with the operations people. There were fireworks going on during the game. Like it, it was, it was an interesting experience. But uh, after that, um, going to the next summer, actually between those two summers, I worked and didn't know if I was going to play anymore. I didn't really hit, didn't really work out. Um, but I ended up going to a paid tryout, and that's how I got on this Adrian Pioneers team uh, up in Adrian, Michigan. And like you said, we stayed in the uh, college dorm, kind of the whole team. It was just like a college atmosphere again. Uh, you know, had a roommate uh, sitting on a bunk. Like it was uh, just like kind of playing in college, except really probably playing in front of uh, fewer people at that point. Um, and with that, I played there for uh, a while. I began the season there and went probably halfway through that season. And uh, they at one point sat all of us down, like, I think it was two teams about a place. They sat down both groups of players together and basically said, we don't know if we're ever going to get paid, but we're up here, we're playing baseball, so we have a choice to either kind of throw in the towel and say, you know, screw it, we're not going to play anymore because we're not getting paid, or we can just go ahead and play and maybe we get paid, maybe we don't. And that 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 was kind of awesome because – both teams walked away or walked to the field after that and said, screw it, let's play. Like, if we get paid, awesome. If we don't, like, we're, we're going to play baseball. So that was kind of a cool experience. Uh, not cool not getting paid when you told you're going to, but uh, that's kind of how that worked out. And then uh, from there I had an opportunity to play with the uh, Gary South Shore Railcats and the uh, American Association. Yeah, so that was a that's an interesting thing there is is you make the trip down to Gary and they they said you're going to sign you and put you in the lineup and that's your tryout. And so they did that to you. You have two hits in your first night and then they keep you on the team. Uh you but really after 4 years of starting at first base at catcher, it's the first time you have to come off the bench and you end up getting released, but they keep you on the squad for a couple of extra games. And then you have something major happen. Tell me about that. Yeah. So like you said, I, I had just been released. Uh, it was only a couple weeks in. I knew that I wasn't going to be playing for Gary anymore, but they told me that, uh, you know, they'd shop around, see if there's another place um, and maybe in another league they could get me signed on for. And uh, so I stayed with the team. I was actually sleeping in their clubhouse, like just staying there. And during that night's game, I was in the dugout, you know, no, obviously not playing. I'd already been released at that point. They're just kind of being hospitable, letting, letting me stay around the team until I find somewhere else to go. And during that game, uh, we had, they had just made the third out. Defense is coming, you know, back to the dugout. And I remember standing up, and that's kind of – the last thing I remember, um, after that, I, I just see players, a group of maybe five or six players all surrounding me. And, uh, you know, I, I had passed out and I, I woke up with all these guys around me like, what the heck is going on? Kind of freaking out because, one, I know, like, I've been released. Like, I shouldn't be making a scene right here. Like, I'm technically not even a part of this group anymore. I was supposed to be kind of just out in a corner just – kind of watching things until the game was over. So 
Um, I passed out, so they they got me back to the clubhouse, and uh, I remember talking to their trainer, and I I told him like I don't know what happened. I just I uh, I think I stood up, and right after I stood up, I, I just passed out. I remember guys, you know, me. I remember this trainer, man. He he was convinced I was on something. He was like, no, you know, you know these players. He's uh he's doing something he shouldn't do, or he he just had an energy drink, or he down some stuff like. I kept on telling him like I water Gatorade maybe like that that's it. So they end up taking me to the hospital and uh kind of a it, it wasn't crazy for me cuz I had passed out previously it's something that has happened in my family so I didn't think too much of it. Typically it was it's in medical situations that you know I pass out or my family passes out but for it to happen in the middle of the game was was very odd. Um, and while I'm at the hospital, um, in a room, remember, I'm not a part of this team anymore. So all the, you know, former teammates are doing their thing, playing their game. Um, my parents are back at home in, you know, Dallas area and I'm up in Gary, Indiana. So I'm just there by myself in this hospital bed. Like, uh, something's wrong and I, I don't know what it is. And, uh, while I was in that hospital room, I, I remember I went to go to the restroom. I walk to the restroom, and while I'm in there, I look down and see a needle in my arm, like where they have the IV or whatever. And I remember freaking out and thinking, oh, crap, like I'm about to pass out again. So I sprint back to the bed and dive on the bed. And uh, within a couple minutes, there were nurses in there. They said they saw that my heart rate had dropped to zero, and they were freaking out. And from there, I got moved to the ICU in uh, this Gary, Indiana hospital. And uh, that was an experience. My, my my dad ended up catching a flight out to be with me. Um, they were very worried about my heart rate being so low. Uh, they weren't sure why I was passing out. Uh, I was in a room with all these devices attached to me, and if my heart rate went below a certain number, alarms would start going off. And I have a slow heart rate to uh, begin with. So every time I tried to go to sleep, I would obviously be very calm and my heart rate would lower and these alarms would start going off. So I remember it just being a terrible time. I couldn't even sleep. It was rough. And uh, from that point, a doctor did come in uh, a day or two later and basically said, you know, we're not sure what's going on. Uh, It is very possible that you're going to need a pacemaker. and you know, we just, we got to figure out what's going on. And at that point, they thought I was stable enough to send me back to Dallas with my dad and uh, get evaluated by a cardiologist back in Dallas. And uh, I don't know if you want me to kind of get into that a little bit, how that ended up, but that's, you know, how I got kind of out of professional baseball was with that whole medical scare and then coming back to Dallas, not knowing if I'd ever be medically cleared to, to play baseball again. You know, I didn't know I, – I knew that something had happened because we had talked that summer, but uh, I didn't know that whole story. I mean, are, are you okay now? Yeah, so uh, kind of what happened when I got back, I I saw a cardiologist, and uh, I'll try to make it quick. This cardiologist ran multiple tests, and more or less I failed every test. Like, I, I pass out. I don't, I don't know why, but I, I do. And in every one of these tests, I passed out, like, in record time. 
So this guy actually told me that, Adam, you are not to be doing anything. You can't drive. You can't play baseball. You can't do anything um, unless you have a pacemaker. So he told me I had to have a pacemaker and just uh, it didn't feel right. It, it felt like it was kind of uh, jumping the gun a little bit because I had been healthy up to that point. Um, you know, I knew that my family members had passed out uh, previously. So uh, basically, long story short, I ended up going to two other specialists, cardiologists, and um, they ended up saying, like, yeah, that's a bit extreme to uh, go straight to a pacemaker. Basically, I was given um, a diagnosis where basically they said when my brain perceives a, a threat of some kind, typically in a medical situation, that fight or flight response kind of kicks in, and uh, I have a tendency to pass out um, neurally mediated syncope, I think is what the uh, official diagnosis was. But uh, they gave me some strategies and tips in order to kind of avoid that or make sure that it doesn't happen. Um, and really, once I got the clear from that last doctor, so seeing, I guess, four different cardiologists, you know, the last two saying I was good to go, I uh, started everything back up as normal. I mean, I, I still today, you know, I lift weights, work out. I'm playing in an adult league right now. Like, I'm doing everything that I would have had I never had that scare. It's just for that uh, really about a year period, I didn't know what was going to uh, happen or what the diagnosis was going to be. Playing in an adult league, you are, you've hit full-on has-been mode, man. Congratulations. Hey, man, I made the all-star, all-star <laughs> team this year. So. <laughs> so, okay, I mean, you've you've obviously, it's a huge medical scare for you. And the next step for you is you decide to go back to school. You get your master's in sports psychology at the University of North Texas. Uh, but your interest peaked when you did not play well in the role of a backup. You start graduate school at UNT, and they actually let you work with a couple of the programs there, track and field, uh, as well as the cross-country team. You work with a volleyball team and a couple of summer collegiate baseball teams until you graduate in 2016. What was that whole thing like? Yeah, that was awesome. That was kind of in that time. It was right when I started the sports psychology program that I got the all clear from the doctor. Um, but while I was at UNT, uh, like you said, studying sports psychology, I, I knew that not performing in that role as a backup is something that I had never done before. So I, I didn't know what to do. When my number was called, I wasn't ready. I told myself I was, but I wasn't ready. So yeah, going back and, and studying that and learning about all these different things that, once again, just gave me a new kind of alternative way to, to, to look at life, to look at baseball, you know, to look at athletics in general. And uh, I was able to work with the uh, UNT track and field team and cross-country team. You know, we prefer, performed workshops for them. You know, we were at practices, uh, events, their meets, all that sort of stuff which was cool for me because I'd never been around track and field before. So working with athletes that, you know, have some similarities to baseball players and how they prepare and some very big differences in how they prepare. And then I also worked with uh, the high school volleyball team and then uh, uh, was a youth baseball team and a college summer baseball team. And just really fulfilling that role as a coach, but a coach that helps you think the right way because a lot of times 
we prepare our bodies and kind of forget about our minds. And it's, you know, crazy to think. I talk to guys all the time. Like, you can have the best swing in baseball and still not touch a baseball, not hit it at all. You can have the best swing. But if you doubt yourself, you think you can't do it, if you think you have a terrible swing, even if you have a great one, you're probably not going to do very well. So that's why I like to really combine that body and mind piece. So my, my company is buying performance just because, you know, I think that's very important. We focus sometimes so much on our body that we forget about our mind, or sometimes we focus so much on, on our mind we forget you, you got to work out, you got to, you know, learn the skill with your, with your body. So you, you graduate, you have your master's degree, you're trying to figure out how in the world can I combine these, these two passions I have in, in working in sports psychology and then also in baseball. You take a position at Duncanville High School as an assistant varsity baseball coach. You're teaching business. Uh, you're also you know, doing more classes online to become a certified mental performance consultant. Uh, through the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. All of this stuff is going on, and really what I'd love to break down and what I'd love to hear from you is kind of your general thought on baseball and where you have to be or where you would want somebody to be mentally to be able to succeed in the game because it's such a mental game where we have guys like, just using as an example, Luis Roman is is somebody that I would sit on the phone with two hours a week and talk to while I was at Kaiser, and he was at Texas Wesleyan. But he's a guy that evolved so much once he started changing his mentality and, and really became a great player. And, and because of some changes that he made, not just personally, but also on the field and who he was as a teammate really made some major impacts, got drafted and had a, a pretty good pro career for himself of a few years. You know, what is your stance? What is your take on, on baseball and the mental aspect of the game? Right. So one thing real quick, every guy is going to be a little bit different. Um, I don't think it's smart to have like a one-size-fits-all approach for a guy's mental game. Um, they, you know, some guys do play better, um, you know, when the pressure's on, they feel like they elevate. Some guys feel like they kind of crumble in that situation. So if I'm working with someone who feels that way, they're obviously going to be treated or we're going to work on different things than the guy who already is elevated in that situation. Um, my biggest thing is, being consistent like for me that means you kind of mastered that mental game is you're consistent so if you're a, a 150 hitter when uh in a scrimmage you're just a 150 hitter in scrimmages and you're a 150 hitter in big moments well you're probably doing pretty good like that if you're consistent across that that's great if you're a 400 hitter in scrimmages then in big moments you should also be a 400 hitter like that that should be the same across any domain and to me, that's showing that you have really mastered that mental game. And with baseball specifically, it's a sport where there's not as much intensity or arousal as in other sports. So in football, you can get all hyped up and yelling and screaming and go hit somebody. But if you tried that at the plate, 
uh, it's going to be really hard to hit a baseball like that. You have to be so fine and so specific. Um, same thing on the mound. Like you see guys with emotion after they've done something great. The guy hits a home run, yeah, then he'll toss it back, then he'll yell. But he doesn't yell when he steps in the batter's box. He usually takes a breath, he calms himself, centers himself, gets ready to hit really just smooth and slow and focused. And then once he does that action, that's when he gets all excited. So that is the biggest difference I see with baseball and some other sports is that intensity level is guys think, like, i got to get all hyped up for this big moment and do this great thing, when in reality, you probably play better if you calm yourself down a little bit and just um, try to slow things down. You know, that was something I think for myself in college was coming where I I, I come from, and, and you've obviously been to my hometown and uh, you didn't really get to watch any of the baseball down here, but it's everything feels like it's so high intensity. When I got to college, I found out it's not. You know, in the playoffs, obviously it is. And you want to win every game and you want to get after it in every game, but you're not, you know, going crazy for everything. And that took some adjusting for myself uh, from a mental standpoint of how to react during games and, and how to deal with adversity. You know, but one of the big things that I see on a daily basis is, especially I work with younger kids, is is trying to help, you know, younger kids not be afraid of the ball. What are some tips you can give for me or for anybody out there that's that's got a youth team and how to deal with that? It's kind of funny you say that. I was working with a, a six-year-old or seven-year-old today. and. uh one thing I asked him is, have you ever been hit by a ball? And he said, yeah. It's like, did it hurt? Yeah. How long? A uh, couple minutes? Okay. Like, just kind of have them think back to a time where that, that might have happened. And it's like their biggest fear has, has already happened. Um, so maybe not, you know, don't hit them like, so that they have experienced that. <laughs> I'm not just going to keep them in the box and throw baseballs at them, no? that. No, yeah, that's it's probably not, not the best idea. But just to, like, let them know that that's a normal thought. Like, that, that happens. Sometimes if the guy in front of you pimps a home run and you're in college and you're the next guy up to bat, there's probably that same fear that that six, seven, eight-year-old has going through your head also. So just, like, letting them know that that's a, a normal fear, it happens, but if you do these things that you're supposed to do, if you put your glove up, if you catch it in the pocket, if you do these things, it, it shouldn't happen. So I think, you know, rationalizing their thoughts is good as well because if we keep on telling them, like, oh, it's crazy, that's never going to happen, well, next thing you know, they're going to get hit and think you're a liar and what else has he said that's not true and all that sort of stuff. So just letting them know, like, it's okay to have those thoughts. It's just not okay to have those thoughts control how we act. One of the things I want to get to is you realize at the end of your first season at Duncanville that things need to change, that you need to incorporate values, mental skills, all sorts of things. You begin buying performance, which is your company. You introduce team values to, to Duncanville's high school baseball team, as well as a mental performance workbook. This past year, you win district for the first time in 16 years, and you begin to implement the three-step process to mental training, evaluate, educate, 
execute. So first question is really what team values did you introduce to the team as well as the introduction of a mental performance workbook? Because Adam, to tell you the truth, this is not something we see a lot in high school. Right, definitely. And like I said, it was after, I guess it was our second season that we realized that there's more of a need for this. So as far as the the values, that was something kind of a brainchild of our head coach, uh, Scott Fahey. He had talked about, you know, some stuff over and over, and I, I heard some consistent things from him. So it was just a matter of us kind of getting together and really writing down what we think our values are. And uh, so our values are an acronym. They spell out MUDITA, which is a pretty popular term now, uh, just being happy for someone else's success, which is funny because uh, – my first year at Duncanville, so three years earlier, uh, he had told me, man, I don't know what it is. I just love seeing our players happy for their teammates. Like, I just love that. And we didn't have a word for it. We didn't know what it meant. Um, and it was at the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Convention. I heard someone use that term. It might have been Sheets, actually. Uh, heard, heard that term, Mudia. And we finally had a word to go with that feeling and that emotion we were trying to get across to our players. So that was kind of our one big value, Mudita, because we wanted to uh, be happy with the success of our teammates and each other. And uh, each one of those letters stood for something. So the M was my best, meaning no matter what else is going on in my life, whatever else has happened today, I'm going to give my best. If my best is 80% today, okay, I'm going to give 80%. Uh, The U was unconditionally resilient. Like, we are going to be resilient. Crap is going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. But we're going to bounce back, and we're not going to let these small things get in the way of us achieving our goal. Uh, The D is dependable and reliable. We had, you know, the past few years, some guys that were not dependable and reliable. You know, we could not uh, depend on them to show up to practice, to uh, be where they were supposed to be on the school campus. So, uh, that was really, really big for us. I is in control. Uh, we had some problems with guys letting emotions take over uh, during games and um, getting ejected, things like that. Uh, so we wanted all our guys to con- always stay in control of, of what they were doing. T was team focus, uh, just realizing that everything we're doing is so that the team can be successful not always just so that you personally can be successful. And then the A was a ball player. We wanted our guys to be a ball player. And what we really meant by that was kind of an attitude of a ball player, like scrappiness. But also if if we need a guy to play second base and you haven't played second base before, but you're the best option, like just go there. If we need a guy to pitch and you haven't pitched before, just, just get on the mound. Um, want a guy to just be able to fill in roles, even though they might not be comfortable with doing it. So those are those values. And it's not like we came in and said, these are our values, guys. This is what we're going with. We came in kind of as a conversation of we have these things. We want to make sure that they really represent who we are as Duncanville High School baseball. And it was really awesome to to watch those guys work and basically affirm that, yes, Mudita is Duncanville High School baseball. That's what we want to be. That's who we are, and that's who we're going to be this year. Uh, so that was awesome. That was the uh, kind of value thing that we implemented this past year. 
So also over that summer, I introduced or kind of came up with a mental performance workbook for our kids at uh, Duncanville. And what we did was we had four foundational skills and then four mental skills. The uh, foundational skills were mindset, motivation, intensity, and routines. And then the uh, mental skills were goal setting, mindfulness, imagery, and self-talk. And what we did is we just uh, introduced them to the players kind of in a classroom-type setting. Uh, we had some activities to go with them and just talked about how we can implement those in the, in the practices now and also the season moving forward. So those were kind of the things that we implemented. Um, the three-step process I talked about, the evaluate, educate, and execute, kind of came as a result of seeing all my experiences, their experiences, all these things coming together, and was kind of, uh, I guess, kind of implemented towards the beginning of that season. And uh, it's what I work off of now when I work with athletes is that three-step process. 2019, you win your first district championship. I mean, how big was that for the school? Obviously, Duncanville, anybody who's familiar with Texas high school athletics knows that's that's a prime football area, you know, and obviously that was huge for baseball for y'all. Yeah, so like you said, if you're not familiar, Duncanville is known for athletics, and we that season, our football team was in the state championship game, uh, highest level high school football. They lost on a Hail Mary, just complete heartbreaker, but they were in the state championship game. Our basketball team won state that year. Um, the previous year, we were the only athletic team, I believe, that did not make the playoffs at our school. So us having success the next year was huge. So with all the success that all these other teams around us were having, you know, at, on our campus, it was huge for us to be able to kind of hold our own and uh, even do more than that and win district for the first time in, in 16 years since 2003, which uh, with a group of guys we had, we actually did a, a poll in the fall. We asked our guys, it was on a day when we felt like the effort level was low, and we asked them, what place do you think we're going to finish this year? We're going to call on every single guy here. Just tell us what place. And the average place they thought, the players thought we were going to finish was third. They thought we were going to finish third. And with all that stuff we implemented, and uh, not even that, but their hard work and their buy-in to what was implemented, you know, resulted in us winning district and um, having a lot of success that year. How big would you say, not just at the high school level, but also at the college level, would would mental performance and, and mental training be for an athlete? How how much do you think it's needed? I think it's huge, and I think it's it's a uh, it's hard to put into words. It's hard to um, calculate, you know, how much is this actually participating into my success or failure, but. For me, if you're not focusing on the mental side, if you're just kind of ignoring it, it's the same thing as like not working out or not taking your reps off the tee. It's one piece of a puzzle that you're just leaving to chance. And if it was something physical, we would never do that because we can often see the results a little bit better. But it's, it's huge at every level. 
Uh, I just saw a story the other day that Bubba Watson, the golfer, is uh, working with a mental game coach for uh, some stuff right now, and he hadn't before. So I, I think no matter what level you're at, especially once you get high school and up, high school, college, and then the professional level, there's so much that you don't want to be left to chance, that you want to have a plan to go in. And, you know, what I do with athletes, it's just implementing skills. Like, just like you have the skill to field a ground ball, to throw a ball, to hit a ball, now you have a skill to talk to yourself in a way that's going to lead to better results. You have a skill to uh, make sure your intensity does not get too high or too low. You have those different skills that you can just use. When a ground ball is hit to you, you don't think, you just field it because you can feel the ground ball. When you field it, you just throw it because you can throw a ground ball or you can throw a ball. Um, so when those things come up in a game, if you have that skill and you realize you're too intense or, you know, your intensity level is way too high, you just lower it because you have that skill. You know how to measure that and how to get back to where you need to be. So, yeah, I think it's, it's extremely important. It's often overlooked. And I think people just don't know how to ask about it. They don't know kind of what questions to ask or what to um, who to talk to about it. Adam, last question for you here is what did playing baseball in the NAI mean to you and how did it kind of set you up, you know, not just playing at Northwood, not just playing in the NAI, but playing small college baseball and all your trials and tribulations and overcoming adversity. How did it change your life? Wow. That's a, that's a big question. Um, it definitely changed it for the better. I do think I being around the people I was at in uh, at Northwood and seeing the actions and just getting to know my teammates, getting to know the coaches definitely changed who I was. We can go back and talk about Coach K and him just being you know, a rock and standing by his word and holding tight to his values, that has impacted me immensely. Um, I'm a different man today for seeing him do those things. Same with Garza and the other teammates that I had there. And I do wonder sometimes if I was at a larger program, am I able to have that close of relationship and see those things with the head coach? Um, Know, if there's just different things at different levels, I don't know if I have the same experience that that I did. And basically, I think that playing at that level did make me a better person. And uh, it definitely has changed kind of who I am for the better. So I'm very, very thankful to have played in NAI, which I didn't even know the NAI existed in high school. But I'm very thankful to have played at that level, met all the people I met, and uh, hope I left a little bit of an impact on others while I was there. You know, I, I would definitely say that you did. Uh, I would definitely say that you did because there's plenty of guys out there that that remember that. And I've got a, another quote here from a teammate that said, Adam Humes was the definition of a leader both on and off the field. Adam did what was ever necessary 
to properly prepare for each and every game in practice. Captain America never wavered on who he was as a player or a person. And that comes straight from, uh, of course, my former roommate, Ozzy Gutierrez. So, you know, there's plenty of guys out there that you made an impact on. And, and earlier I talked about, you could, we could, I could ask any of the guys from 12 and 13 who were on the team and, and they would have something similar to say like that. And here's what coach Garza had to say about you was Adam played with a quiet confidence. He was always looking and searching for something to help improve his game. And that was infectious within our team. He led by example and he did that extremely well. He was asked to play four different positions throughout his time at Northwood. Each time he was asked to move to position after becoming all conference at the other position. Not very many players would want to leave their existing position, but Adam would. It sure was a pleasure coaching a team first player like Adam. That's from Coach Garza. I mean, you wanted to know if you if you left an impact. We talked about Coach K earlier and what he had to say about you. We talked about Ozzy and what he had to say about you. We talked about Coach Garza and what he had to say about you. And that's why you're here. You know, uh, I think – your work in mental performance and your work at Duncanville is, is something incredible. And so I, I really just wanted to kind of share that with our community in, in the NAI, because I think it's something that would help down the line. If coaches or if players wanted to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Yeah, the best way to do that. Um, my email address is just findperformance at gmail.com. Find is just E-I-N-D. Um, website is www.bindperformance.com. And uh, Facebook, at Bind Performance, Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Coach underscore Humes, H-U-N-E-S. So, yeah, if y'all, anybody has questions or um, anything like that, definitely just get in contact with me any one of those ways, and I'd be happy to uh, – to help any way I can. Adam, man, I, I definitely appreciate you taking some time out of your day to talk with us. The first ever episode of NAI made a podcast brought to you by NAI ball. It, I couldn't have picked somebody better to talk to. I couldn't have picked somebody that I enjoy more to talk to. So thank you for taking some time out of your day. Thank you for talking to us about how small college baseball affected you and changed your life and, and kind of your story uh, through the years of, all of the the things you had to go through, switching positions, you know, uh, indie ball, a medical scare, and and really what mental baseball uh, has done for you, and and how you can help people with that. And I definitely think it's something that the NAI could use, and and just totally, totally, totally excited to share your story out there with with our community. Thanks, Robbie. I appreciate you uh, having me on. It's been fun. That'll do it for us this week. Our next episode will feature Brewers pitching coordinator Jake McKinley. Until next time, have a great day and an even better tomorrow.